We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined by Kyle Porter, who is fresh off a trip to Orlando, where I think he's ditching me as a podcast partner for Jim Nance. Um, I'm <laughs> I'm not offended. I'm I'm actually quite proud of you for leaving me uh, high and dry for uh, a broadcasting legend. But that that looked like a cool opportunity. Yeah, he's uh, he's awesome. He's very engaging. Um, don't know how much he knows about Oklahoma State's offensive coordinator, but uh, we did have a great uh, golf conversation, and uh, yeah, it was it was a really good time. That you know, I, you mentioned this, but that uh, PJ Merchandise shows it. I mean, it's kind of a circus. There's a lot going on. There's a ton of people there, but it's fun to catch up with the people that you know and and have kind of become friends with over the years, and meet new people and see new stuff. And it, it's a it's a week that maybe could be like one or two days instead of four or five, but uh, all the same, it, it's a lot of fun to go down there. It looked like it was miles long. Like the, the facility it was in was like miles of stuff. It's, it's the, it might be the biggest building I've ever been in other than <laughs> like a football stadium. It, it, it's, it's absurdly big. Like it's, it's almost hard to describe how large this, this uh, convention center is in Orlando, but Great food there all week. I uh, got to hang out with. Uh, I had dinner one night with uh, Shane Bacon, Fox uh, broadcaster, and then uh, Chad Coleman, who uh, runs Social for Callaway. So we had a really fun like taco dinner one night, and uh, yeah, it was just I don't know, it was a really good time. Did Jim Nance give you a tie? <laughs> a bunch of people on Twitter asked me that. Uh, <laughs> no, he did not. Although there were plenty to choose from, uh, he 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 is partnered with uh, vineyard vines do you have any vineyard vines stuff no i'm too old for that that kind of became a thing once you and i were out of college yeah it's very, I don't, I, very big with the frats i don't have any either and i tried to take some of the stuff that he was showing me but uh somehow i didn't i didn't end up with it but uh no that was cool it, it was fun to see him and uh he was he's man he is he said whenever i saw him that was on uh, Wednesday, I guess he said he had been on a plane each of the last four days and he was leaving that afternoon to fly out to Tory. So he's got a, he's got a different <laughs> life. He doesn't work out of a shed like I do. <laughs> no, not quite, but, uh, it's not as glamorous as people probably think it is when you're now doing yeah. four flights in four days. Yeah. Well, man, we had a lot going on this week uh, over the weekend. I mean, let's, uh, let's hop right into it. OSU hires, uh, this Gleason, what's his first name? Sean Gleason. <laughs> Sean. I have it, to like double check it, his name every time. I, I do it. too. I keep, I keep wanting to call him John and uh, yeah. So Sean Gleason, we still don't know how old he is, but he's a 30 something out of Princeton. Uh, was coaching bowling seven years ago and uh, yeah. Welcome. New offensive coordinator for Oklahoma state. I keep wanting to call him Sean Glennon. Wasn't that a quarterback back in the yeah, day for Tampa? Yeah. I keep wanting to call him that, so hopefully I don't do that. Um, I have two takes on this, Kyle. Do you want – which take would you like first, the the anti-take or the positive take? Uh, let's hear the positive. Well, I mean, the more you hear about this guy, the more you like. I mean, we're going to have a guest on the pod today who is is just over the moon that OSU hired him. Um, it, it seems as if Mike Gundy's found a we- – it seems to me he's way more established and way more of a name commodity than Mike Yersich was when he was hired. Seems like he's doing really innovative things, which is also encouraging. And I've I've always wanted to see an offense play more than one quarterback at the same time. Just how much that would how much that would mess with a defense. 
But I think I think one of the main takeaways as far as what his offense is is it appears, and I'll ask Bill about this coming up, but it seems like he likes to play two tight ends a lot. And with Grayson Boomer coming in, with uh, Jelani Woods establishing himself as a legit weapon, that to me is seems like a, a genius move by by Mike Gundy to incorporate that style along with the mobile uh, aspects. So like the offense to me seems like a, a good fit. Um, but do you want to check the other take now? Yeah, let's hear it. What what is OSU do, doing hiring an Ivy League coach to be their offense coordinator? Like Oklahoma State should be the number one spot for any offensive coordinator in the country. Like 2010, 2009 when Gundy was calling plays, the offense was in a total rut. What did they do? They went and hired the best offensive coordinator money could buy in Dana Holgerson. And it totally changed the program. It changed their offense. They're still running concepts from what Dana brought in. And look, this guy may be Sean McVay for all I know. <laughs> he might he might win the Super Bowl in ten years coaching the the Raiders. I don't know, but on the surface, it just seems silly to me that a school like Oklahoma State, who's going to pay what they pay, like they were they were paying Mike Yurcich a lot of money before he had done anything. Um, why are you not just going and hiring the best offensive coordinator in the country and just saying, look, if he gets hired away, we're going to go hire the next best offensive coordinator in the country. So that that was my initial take on it when I saw they hired a coach from Princeton. But the more you read, the more you hear about the guy. Obviously, he seems like a young, bright coach, and Gundy thinks he can groom him much in the way he did Yurcich. So I don't. I'm not anti the hire. I'm just the mindset to me. OSU should be big time brand name offensive football where you can go hire whoever you want. Yeah, but what what are you using to define best offensive coordinator in the country? Is it just the how about that, a, how about a guy who coaches at your level? How about how about we start there? Yeah, but why why does why does that matter? Like wh- like at 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 one point, all of these guys were low level coaches, right? I mean, at one point, uh, Lincoln Riley was the you know water boy at Texas Tech, and he was the yeah. offense coordinator at East Carolina, which is so many levels above Princeton. It's not even funny. I, I mean, I guess I just, I, and I, I get what you're saying, and I don't like. You're you're basically making the argument Graham Harrell is a would be a better hire than uh, Sean Gleason because he did it at a higher level for a longer time, and you know what? Like, I I get that argument. I just don't think that we necessarily should define how good or bad somebody is at their job by what level they were coaching at or what job they had or whatever. I. I I think fit matters. I think that, I mean, obviously, Gundy, we've talked about it a million times. The continuity matters. I don't, I mean, that's, you're sort of arguing against that, which I think is, I, I'm more with you. I don't think the continuity is as, as big of a deal as Gundy thinks it is, but it doesn't really matter what we think, obviously. And well, what, what continuity is there hiring this guy? Because he's, because he's going to be there for like seven years. Yeah. In right. Theory. And so if, if Graham Harrell gets the job, kills it for two years, all of a sudden he's the he's the head coach at Vandy or whatever, right? Yeah. I so, guess my point is you hire guys who are most qualified for the job. Like this is no different than hiring any other line of work, right? Now, does this guy have potential? Could he be Sean McVay? Sure. I'm just saying you're hiring a less qualified person for the job. That's that. That is my take on hiring Princeton's offensive coordinator, sight unseen, knowing nothing about the guy. But as isn't, I said, the first take that, or the second take, 
I mean, the more you learn about the guy, the more you're, you get excited. The more, you know, I, I'm not, again, I want to make it clear, I'm not saying this is a terrible hire. I'm just saying on the surface, Oklahoma State, in my mind, is a top 20, top 15 program over the last 10 years. You, you shouldn't even have to go to a different level. Go hire the best coordinator in the country because it's proven you're going to get him a head coaching job. That's my point. Like, Dana, wouldn't you rather have Dana Holgerson than a, than a Mike Yurcich on the surface right now today? So would you rather have Archie Miller or Mike Boynton? Uh, if I had to pick, Archie Miller. He's way more proven than Mike Boynton. Okay. Okay. Would you would you pick Mike Boynton over Archie Miller? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. What has Archie Miller done recently? What, what, what's, what is he? Where, where, oh, I don't know. Coached in the NCAA tournament? No, no, no. no, no I, don't, I don't mean that. Just what's he done with uh, – he's with Indiana, right? Yeah. I so can hear what, your fingers Googling him. <laughs> yeah, what what have they done the last couple of years? So they went uh, sixteen and fifteen last year, and they're twelve and eight this year. Okay. <laughs> What's Mike Boynton's record? No, I I, I know. I See, there's know. a reason the, the Indiana coach got fired because they weren't any good. <laughs> <laughs> my my point is just that it's not always like you can find. I, I get what you're saying. All I'm saying is that what you've done, where you've been. This is the argument for myself in my own career, right? What was what was my resume when I got hired to be the, the head golf writer at CBS Sports? It was nothing. It was running this blog. And yet it's turned out okay. It's been successful. I feel like I've done a good job at it. I, f- I feel like so we come back to this often where it's like, okay, w- what's your resume versus just what kind of person are you? And I, I, don't, I don't get as I, – I, don't disagree with you, but I also don't get as wrapped up in the resume conversation as as you do. Yeah, and that's totally fair. I just I think Oklahoma State is a look at it from this way. It is a multi multi million dollar business, and you're hiring someone who has not been at your level at all to to go to basically run it. Now, Mike Gundy, we can make that's a whole other discussion whether Mike Gundy just runs the offense himself, but and again, I like the hire. I think yeah. he's going to do a good job. I just yeah, I do too. when I when I see that they hire Princeton's Ivy League or Princeton's offensive coordinator, who's been a who by the way has been a coordinator for only two years of his entire life. I know that to me raises my eyebrows, and I, I look at it from a broad from a broad perspective. To me, OSU should be hiring a big name, top of the line offensive coordinator. Now, I'm not Mike Gundy. And Mike Gundy obviously has made it perfectly clear he is not interested in doing that because they're going to leave in two years. I get that. I think the Yersich thing, after, after we did not like the, the first couple of years, it paid off. He did a great job. You and I were one of, you and I went from being detractors to like his biggest defenders in a yeah. span of a couple of years. <laughs> so, again, I want people to make it perfectly clear. I'm not. I'm, I know nothing about this guy. He could be Sean McVay just on the surface. I, I didn't. I thought OSU should be making a, a big, splashy, big-name hire because that's, that's where they are as a football program. You know what the they, funny They pay top dollar. You know what the funny part is? He is, he is wildly more qualified than Yursich was when he got brought in. Absolutely. That's, that's kind of what I've said at the top. Like, he's way more established and way more of a name than, yeah, uh, than, which than is, even Yursich was. Which is hilarious. It's, it's almost this middle ground between 
uh, I don't know if it's a middle ground, but it's somewhere between Dana, who was killing at, at U of H, and Yursich, who was at Shippensburg. <laughs> like, this is your, like, in between those two higher, I guess. Um, I don't know. I, I'm really excited about it, honestly. When, when, you, when you look at, uh, <laughs> I think the most interesting part, he plays two quarterbacks at times on offense, which. Love it. How funny would it be if they went from not playing any or only playing one to playing two at the same time <laughs> in 2019 with Drew Brown and Spencer Sanders? Gundy's like, okay, you want to see these guys? Fine, you'll see both of them at the same time. At the time. same time, I love uh, it. I've, I've wanted I've wanted a team to do this for years. Like, imagine yeah. putting Spencer Sanders out wide. It's kind of great. And just throwing it to him. The defense has no idea what he's going to do when he gets the ball. Is yeah. he going to throw it? Is he going to run? Is he going to? Throw it down the field. You're gonna throw it back to the other quarterback. That's that is a. Um, I think if Oklahoma State starts doing that, it is going to catch on like wildfire across yeah. college football. I think Gundy's excited about stuff like that too. But then the other thing, Carson, is that he got this. Uh, uh, I, I got to look up his name. I think it's Devin White. Uh, he's a quarterback out of California, and uh, he was being recruited by Alabama. Said that. Uh, I can't find his name. Anyway, uh, he was being recruited by Alabama. Brevin White. Brevin White. There we go. Said that uh, Nick Saban called him, wanted him to come, and he went to Princeton instead. He's a four-star quarterback. And, look, I I know there's a lot of other things going on, like it being Princeton and an Ivy League education and you know everything else maybe maybe he was maybe he didn't even maybe he didn't believe in himself maybe he didn't think he was that good but on on some level you have to be a pretty compelling person to out recruit Nick Saban and bring a quarterback in that Alabama wanted to come to Alabama right it's it's super duper impressive yeah and so I look at that and and I think that's exciting for the future of of Oklahoma State's offense, the recruiting, their their football program, everything else. And uh, I don't know. The the more I've read about him, and there's not a lot out there. I mean, I went deep down the rabbit hole, and there's just not a ton there. Uh, so that I think the uh, I think the Karsten Media Day is going to be really intriguing when we get to talk to him for the first time. I presume that's the first time we'll get to talk to him. Uh, because that's when uh, Jim Knowles was was kind of put out there for the first time. But everything that's out there about this guy and about the work that he's done, uh, I'm in. I, 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 can, I, I am in on the hire. I think the dynamics of bringing in somebody who's whatever he is, 34, uh, to be kind, not the boss of, but kind of the head guy of these guys that we thought were going to get hired, Casey Dunn. And uh, uh, who am I? Josh Henson. Josh Henson. Uh, that that part of it's pretty interesting. I wonder what those guys are thinking about that right now. Yeah, I mean that's that's a lot of what we talked about, you know, in previous podcasts. How does that? How does Casey Dunn feel about that? How does he feel about where his career is and and is headed? I mean, uh, anytime anybody in any profession's passed up for a promotion, that there might be some ill will. He might just go somewhere else. So that, that remains to be seen. But, but again, I, I, I'm with you. I think it's very like the recruiting aspect to me is, you know, Kyle Boone wrote a piece about exactly what you're talking about for the website. And, um, that's intriguing. Cause that's a big piece that they lost with Mike Yersich. He was a, a really good recruiter. Uh, you, mm-hmm. you see the Costello kid coming in, obviously what he did with Mason Rudolph and Spencer Sanders. 
it appears this guy's going to be able to pick up right where he left off. And that, that to me is very, very, that to me was one of the most, other than just the X's and O's and how kind of zany his offense is, the fact he can recruit, I think, is is the number one reason to like this hire. I mean, pulling a kid from Alabama to Princeton, regardless of the circumstances, speaks for itself. Did you see the quotes from his uh, from his Princeton head coach? Glowing. Uh, yeah, he said things like uh, he wants to be great. He loves football. He's consumed by football. I think Gundy might have just saw that. There's a there's a clip that I posted on the site. I think Gundy, he might not have interviewed him. He might have just watched that clip and thought, this guy loves football more than I do, and <laughs> well, I'm going to hire him. He's great. I, I bet you he emailed the Princeton coach and asked if he ever says a word. <laughs> the Princeton coach said no, he never says a word. So he hired, immediately hired. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, pretty. It's pretty crazy to think about uh, this time, what, 13 months ago? You go from this, these sort of tenured guys of Glenn Spencer and Mike Yurcich, and it's just it's, everything's very familiar. And now we're sitting here going into February 2019, and you're like, okay, Sean Gleason, don't call him Sean Glennon, <laughs> and Jim Knowles, and uh, it's just it, it. I don't know. The whole thing is very different and and very. I don't know. It's it's odd. It's not odd. It's just, it's just different. And Gundy, Gundy's obviously the one constant, you know, kind of throughout. But things, the landscape has changed a lot, you know, uh, over the last 13 months or so. How about this? You mentioned Jim Knowles. Both coordinators in Stillwater are from the Ivy League. Yeah, I, I meant to bring that up earlier. Cornell. Gundy, Gundy must think Princeton. he's Gundy must think he's so smart for for like co- coordinating all that. Well, you know what you have to do, Kyle, is you got to start printing the Princeton of the Prairie t-shirts. <laughs> Don't you remember when we showed up to OSU? I think like your orientation or whatever, that freshman class, they, or I learned it somewhere where I, Oklahoma State was actually modeled after Princeton with the school colors. They were originally the Tigers, yeah. the campus layout. So it's everything's come full circle. And yeah. uh, did, did you want my, you, you mentioned Gundy thinking he's so smart. You know why Gundy hired this guy, right? Uh, because, he, yeah, I know why. <laughs> he he likes to hire young, balding offensive coordinators just so he can walk by with his full head of hair and just go, "Yep, I still got it." <laughs> this is why this is why Cliff was never in play. This is, Graham Graham Harrell must have great hair. Dana Holgerson balding. I mean, <laughs> come on. Todd Munkin had a nice head of hair, but he was. He, I think he knew he was leaving very quickly. Uh, let's see. Cram Harrell. Yeah. He, he, uh, I can't find. Yeah. He's yeah. Good looking guy. Great hair. There was no chance. We should have seen that coming. Yep. I mean, young balding OCs. That's where it's yeah. at. Graham, Graham he gets Har- to rub it in their face with his mullet. Yeah. Cram Harrell has great hair. So yeah, we, uh, we blew that one. Um, Carson, we are going to, uh, have a, have a guest on. Bill Connolly runs, uh, he works at SB Nation. He runs sort of a, a subdivision of their site called Football Study Hall. Um, he's over way more than that, but that's kind of what I know him from. And uh, he's one of the smarter guys in college football writing about um, all kinds of things, statistics. You guys might know him from his S&P uh, 
statistical profiles, ranking teams throughout the country. He, he's a really smart guy, and he uh, is the only person I know or have heard of that says he watched a lot of Princeton football last year. <laughs> and he wrote a great article talking about why this is such a good hire for Oklahoma State and why he's so excited about it. So uh, we're going to have him on. And Carson, this is actually our last uh, podcast, maybe, I guess, ever uh, to be sponsored by uh, by Coop. Um, so for for one final time, we'll do we'll toast we'll toast Coop at the very end. But for one final time, it's time for the Coop Works guest of the week. Coop Works bring great tasting craft beer in Oklahoma City. Try the flagship F5 IPA, the Bold DNR Belgian Strong Ale, or the refreshing Horning Toad Blonde. For your next watch party tailgate or get together with friends, enjoy a cold Coupe Works, and please remember to drink responsibly. Let's hear from Bill Connolly. Hello. Hey, Bill. Yes. Hey, this is Kyle Porter. How are you? I'm good. And I've also got uh, Carson Cunningham, who's my co-host on the line as well. Hey, Bill. How are you? <laughs> Doing well. Well, we just, uh, we just t- uh, Carson and I just talked for about 20 minutes or so about the, uh, the Gleason hire. <laughs> and so we kind of introed you and I'll have... Um, I'll have Car- Carson, you want to count it down and we can just hop into 10 or 15 minutes of discussion? Yeah. You guys ready? I'm ready. Yep. Okay. We are now joined by Bill Conley from SB Nation. Bill, uh, we appreciate your time. Uh, from a guy who saw that OSU hired Princeton's offensive coordinator, you've done a really <laughs> good job of talking me off the ledge. I, you know, I'm of the opinion that OSU has become the number one destination for any offensive coordinator, yet they hired a guy from the Ivy League just you said you're quote psyched about this hire. Why are, why are you so excited about this guy? Well, it's proof that Mike Gundy reads SB Nation is what I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> I no, I, I I did write about um, a couple of years ago, 2017 season. I wrote. I, I found myself watching a lot of Ivy League football games because I saw a lot of experimentation going on there, and it was really kind of interesting to watch. Um, and so, in the last off season, I wrote a piece about how it's becoming kind of a, a place for innovation and, and the, the level of quality in the Ivy league itself is improving. And I mean, Princeton was probably a top five FCS overall team this year, but they really have led the way uh, when it comes to just being willing to get a little weird. Uh, as Bob Sarace, uh, the head coach put it in, in the interview I had with him, there's no law against doing this stuff. So we're going to see if it works. Um, and, and so the, I watched a lot more of Princeton this last year. And I mean, there, it was just so much fun. It, it really is. It's a spread offense that kind of looks like a spread offense, but they know every single assumption the defense is making, and they figured out three ways to counter that assumption. And, and you know, combine that with an extreme level of physicality, you've got a really fun offense to watch. I, I know when Gundy hired, uh, when Gundy made his last hire, it was kind of a you're going to run my offense and make tweaks over time kind of situation, and maybe that's what happens here too. Uh, but any sort of uh, any sort of wrinkle that he adds, it's going to be really logical and interesting, and it's probably going to be very physical too. What What are the concerns about you know? Because I think it's one thing to experiment in the Ivy League, and then you bring that into a Power Five conference, even with one as poor defenses as the Big 12 has. What, what are the concerns that, okay, maybe these are the things that might not work in, against defenses with much faster players and, and much more physical <clears throat> linemen? 
Well, I, th- I do think, I mean, obviously, when you go up, uh, every time you move up a level, whether it's from D3 to D2 or FCS to FBS or right on into the NFL, the defensive lines are probably improving at a faster rate than anything else. Uh, and so it takes a little while to figure out what does and doesn't work. Even you think about Joe Moorhead at Penn State a few years ago. Um, the first yeah. the first year he was at Penn State, you know, the, obviously the RPO stuff worked insanely well, and they had uh, just a perfect combination of talent for what he wanted to do. But they were very, very inefficient running the ball. And, you know, in talking to some of the staff members there, it was kind of like, you know, he, he had figured out the pass, but the run, there were some things maybe he thought would work, but that didn't. And he had to kind of go through that process. They were much more efficient running the ball the next year. So th- there could always be a learning curve. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, plus, if you, if you keep it really generic or general, you could he, – he's used to playing – with Ivy or coaching Ivy League kids who don't probably don't have much of NFL aspirations, uh, that you know the whole chip on the shoulder thing, and you know all the general statements we would make about no ego and all those kinds of things. It's probably not completely true at any level, but it's probably more true there than in the Big 12. And so it's, it's going to be a different level of athlete that he's working with. It's going to, so th- there might be a learning curve here. All I can really say, though, is that after I wrote that piece, I think I, I, I've, I heard from more coaches about that piece or about Gleason himself and being very excited that he got this hire. Like it kind of, I'm thinking the odds here are pretty good, even though there are some pretty obvious concerns on the board. You keep mentioning physicality. You said that with us. You mentioned it in your article. I mean, isn't typically something? Isn't that something the offensive line coach usually does? How is he going to bring physicality with him with his offense? Well, obviously, yeah. You've got to be. It's got to be. Uh, there, there's got to be a nice meshing of, of philosophies there with the offensive line. But that that probably comes as much from the head coach as from Gleason or anybody else. Therese is a former off- offensive lineman. He okay. has that mentality. You know, as I mentioned in the piece, he wears a camo hat on the sideline. Uh, <laughs> you know, he, he really he has that mentality, and, and it reflects in the way his teams play, even as they're getting kind of weird and, and fun and experimental uh, in what they do. So that's that's as much attitude as anything. And, and the whole team has to have that attitude. And I will say, I mean, as far as Oklahoma State goes, their best moments, especially on defense, have been when they were willing to get kind of nasty and physical and, and whatnot. So I, I would think that it's possible that you can see that philosophy take root. Um, but we, obviously, until we see it, we don't completely know that it will happen. Carson, do you think Gundy will wear a camo hat next year? You can't trap the mullet like that. You got to let it breathe. <laughs> Bill, you spent some time. You spent some time with Mike Gundy. I think it was. I believe it was last year at some point. Yeah. And yeah. so okay, seventeen. And yeah. uh, he he. I'm sure he came came off as. Uh, I mean, your piece on him and and the program was awesome, and people should go read it. But it, in spending time with him and being around him, does it surprise you that he goes out and finds? Uh, Mike Yersich at Shippensburg and and this guy at Princeton. Uh, I mean, does does that kind of kind of match up with what you perceived as his personality and his ethos to be? Yeah, I mean, once you've gone to Shippensburg, Princeton doesn't really seem like that much of a reach. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I you know, if you would have asked me a, a list of ten head coaches at the FBS level who would be pro- most willing to maybe look at making a move like this, he'd definitely be on that list. And I would. Also say that because he's already done, because he's already done it, because he's already made a move reasonably similar to this, that he gets maybe a little more cachet in that regard. That maybe you know, the the, he 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 either knows how to make it work, or the the people around him know that it can work, and therefore they're more fully bought into it. Nobody's doubting the situation very much. Uh, So you know, if he had gone to 
you know, if Gleason had gone to like Alabama or something, there, there might have been a lot more doubt uh, involved in whether that transition could happen. But we've seen that transition in Stillwater, or at least a pretty similar one. So I do think there will be a little more confidence, and that's probably not going to hurt the odds of it working out. I am super, super intrigued by the two quarterbacks playing at the same time. I've won, I, I've won <laughs> three, a, three, three. Oh my god! Yeah, he had three a few years ago. Yeah. How often do they do they implement this in the offense? Is it a goal line wrinkle? Like, how often do they do this, and how successful are they with it? Yeah, it seems like it was mostly red zone, um, which makes perfect sense. Uh, just you know, you, you're just trying to wrong foot a defense for a half second, and that's really maybe all it takes to get into the end zone. Um, so yeah, for the most, yeah, you know, it was funny. It was like that was the one thing anybody really knew about Princeton in about 2013 was they they ran these plays with three quarterbacks. Um, but it, it wasn't like that was their offense. It was a wrinkle, and it was something they were willing to do because, as as he said, there's no law against it, and we're going to try it if it works. So they had some pretty athletic quarterbacks, and it just it, it's really easy to wrong foot a defense if you've got three guys out there who can throw the ball well enough to keep a bunch of options open as the play is unfolding. Well, they've stunk in the red zone the, the last couple of years, so maybe maybe that'll yeah. help them out. Uh, if you go back to so go back to 2010, and, and Oklahoma State brings in Dana Holgerson, they bring in Todd Munkin after that, then they get Yursich, now they get uh, Gleason. I I think from people looking in on the outside, they might say, "Wow, they're getting like maybe I think you could argue progressively worse guys at offensive coordinator." <laughs> not not to say that any of those guys are bad, but Dana was awesome. Todd Munkin was awesome. What? What's your perception of that? Do you look at it as them hiring uh, worse guys, or do you look at it as them trying to stay ahead of some kind of Big 12 offensive curve? Just how, how do you view kind of the continuity of those offensive coordinators? Well, I mean, yeah, Gundy has absolutely come out and said that, you know, we always want to stay ahead of the curve. If we're not doing that, then we're giving up a possible opportunity there. Uh, so he's always going to try to – Whatever the cutting edge is, uh, he's always going to try to stay there, and and maybe that requires you know a little more. Uh, uh, you know, Dana Holgorsen was where at, at Houston right before he came to Oklahoma State. Um, maybe you got to search a little harder now to find the the innovation these <laughs> days, and that's why he's done it. But I mean, I from an outsider's perspective, Yursich was probably about as successful as any of those other guys were. Just yeah. I think this year proved a lot to me. Obviously, there were issues and inconsistencies, but from uh, you know using my S and P Plus rankings, I I can't. Remember, they fell, what, two spots from last year after losing everything they lost. Obviously, the yeah. defensive transition was tough. Uh, and obviously, there were some inconsistencies from, you know, from game to game and quarter to quarter. But uh, the overall level of, of production there was remarkably similar to, similar to the year before, considering everything they lost. So, I mean, he's kind of – he is one of the guys who's kind of just earned the benefit of the doubt for me anyway. Uh, and, and when you t- combine that with the fact that I liked the, uh, Gleason and the Princeton offense to begin with, that was a pretty good combination. I'm getting really excited about this hire, Bill. You're really helping me out. <laughs> uh, I, one, another aspect of his offense that I'm super intrigued to see him implement is the two tight ends to create space. Mm. You, know, you know, OSU has Jelani Woods coming back, this six-seven freak of an athlete. And then one of their best recruits uh, was a tight end named Grayson Boomer. So how, how much do you think the two tight ends will carry over and be implemented in, in Stillwater? 
Well, I do think if we're going to see any immediate influence um, coming from Gleason, it is going to be in the kind of the horizontal passing game, just things where, you know, you can create, uh, you know, create space, get little four-on-threes going or three-on-twos or something like that. And what you saw from Princeton was they didn't need to create much space because they were blocking really well. They had guys on those screens. They had linemen charging downfield to, uh, to, to, get, to hit guys in space, which is not what a defender wants to see. And so I would assume then just from that, we don't really know completely based on this last year, especially we don't completely know what Princeton's philosophy was simply because they were by the midway through the third quarter, they were running the ball a lot. So they didn't necessarily distribute the ball uh, enough to really get a, a, a sense of how they, he would use tight ends if he had to. Um, but I, I would assume that if this really is kind of a physicality kind of thing, he's not going to mind having a bunch of tight ends. He'll probably figure out some, some ways to experiment and use them. Who's the big, biggest beneficiary here? Because Oklahoma State's got this sort of uh, trio with Tylen Wallace. Uh, I think you mentioned Truba Hubbard in your article, and, mm-hmm. and then obviously Spencer Sanders. And to me, y- you talk about the horizontal passing game and trying to get guys in space. Chuba, I mean, Chuba in space, uh, Carson and I have right. talked about, is, is the most exciting thing in the Big 12 right now to us. Um, <laughs> but to you, is he the biggest beneficiary, beneficiary of, of Gleason coming in and being the O.C.? Yeah, I mean, maybe the backup running back is the biggest beneficiary because now he he's going to probably play a bigger role too. But yeah, you have to you have to like the thought of uh, of of Hubbard getting kind of almost a I don't well, I mean, he was going to be a marquee he was going to get marquee touches no matter what, I guess. But uh, you do like the the they're going to figure out what to do with him. That's for sure. Um, and and the simple fact that. Um, you know, again, I, I was going to say, like, if, uh, what I said in the article was basically that, you know, with Princeton, if you couldn't stop them from running the ball, they weren't going to stop. Again, part of that was it's hard to tell what was philosophy, what was we're already up 30 points. But it does, you know, if it's working, he's going to be able to, he seems built to be able to carry a big load. Um, and he's going to be asked to carry as much as he wants to carry. And then the backup's going to get some time, too. So, um, you know, it, you could make the case that, you know, maybe this hurts Wallace, maybe this hurts the receiving core to some degree, but I wouldn't really think so. Among other things, their per, their per target rates are going to be pretty high, even if they maybe don't get as many targets in this system. Bill, I love all of your season previews, and obviously it's probably too soon to, to dive too deep into OSU for next year, <laughs> but just what do you, what do you see from them uh, this coming season with, obviously we think Spencer Sanders will be the quarterback. Just what do you think, uh, what kind of team are they going to have next year in your opinion? Well, I think the the experience on defense isn't going to hurt. Um, I mean, just the way they played against good teams last year uh, showed that the ceiling was still really, really high, despite having a, a first-time starter at quarterback, despite uh, you know losing Washington, despite having a new defensive coordinator and a whole heck of a lot of uh, youth in bad places on the defense. So the fact that they managed to you know fight through the inconsistency, go whatever it was four and one, I think against top forty teams in my S and P Plus rankings, uh, clearly the ceiling is very high here and, and, and we can talk about the offense because it's a, a lot of fun to talk about the offense but the how high the ceiling is is obviously still going to depend on the defensive side of the ball uh returning the entire secondary is great losing most of the front seven is bad uh in the, in the big 12 obviously the secondary is probably the most important part there so maybe it ends up okay but any questions i have right now are going to be on the defensive side of the ball and that was going to be the case no matter who he hired an offensive coordinator yeah, it's a big year for Jim Knowles. Uh, Bill, thanks for your time, man. Uh, you guys can follow Bill on Twitter at SBN underscore Bill C. 
and uh, he obviously writes a lot of uh, non great non Oklahoma State stuff as well. So, uh, Bill, thanks for the time. Thanks for getting everybody fired up about this uh, this <laughs> offensive coordinator hire, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely, thanks. Thanks, thanks Bill. Bill. Yep. Take care. Okay, Carson, you you okay? I'm back. I'm off the ledge. He's great. Uh, Bill's Bill's awesome. I, I love he, reading his stuff. He, he he always convinces me, Kyle, who's good or bad. Like, I, well, and, if, it, if Bill says somebody's good, I believe it. And he he covers like 130 teams, right? And uh, <laughs> yeah. And apparently more than that. He watches Princeton and probably Brown and Harvard and and he he knows more about Oklahoma State than I do. I mean, it's uh, it's unbelievable. Well, it's like when um, you watch a college football game or college basketball and the announcer knows stuff that only like OSU fans would know, only only someone that would watch the team all the time would know. You can tell they've done their research. He's like that with every team in the country. Like when I read his OSU stuff, it's as if he is running an OSU website year round like you do. <laughs> know. He knows he knows about Jelani Woods or, you know, whoever. So it's uh, I can pay no higher compliment than that. The guy... The guy really knows his stuff, and and give him credit. He was he is all in on on Gleason. He he was tweeting about it. I think he convinced a lot of people that this guy's got legit potential. And he's and again, I think he's he's done a really good job illustrating how much fun this is going to be. Like how how different it is. That to me is the most intriguing part of it all. He's like you remember how um, or you know how Gottlieb like when he's calling a game like a college basketball game and he'll reference the backup point guard at like canacious and you're like well who's he he could be making it up for all i know i mean he probably he he probably is half the time but that's what bill does but he's not making it up and uh yeah i just really impressed by him and i think that i think that it's going to be really interesting to see what translates to the Big 12 and what doesn't? Because not everything's going to work. Some of that stuff works because you're playing against Ivy League defenses, right? Um, and some of it is just not going to. It's just not going to. But some of it's going to work better because you have better get better offensive players. You have quicker offensive players. You have uh, bigger and faster linemen. You've got you can do different things. So I don't know, man. I I, uh, I I'm I'm. From the from the second that I heard the hire, which by the way, Sunday afternoon announcement, what was that? Yeah, that was odd, wasn't it? That was strange. Why would you not wait till like Monday to to drive the news cycle for the week? I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know. But from the second I heard it, I, I was I was intrigued at first, and then the more and more I read and heard and talked to people like like Bill, the the more excited I got. Yeah, I mean, obviously Bill knows way more about it than than we do, and uh, if he's all in about it, then. There are obviously reasons to be excited, but I am, and we'll never get answers on this, Kyle, but I, I am intrigued how Gundy goes about hiring these guys. Like with Yursich, he said he, he Googled him. You mentioned that he perhaps just watched that YouTube clip that the coach was talking about him. Like, I wish we could find out for, for real how he found out about it. Did he stumble upon those tweets that the coach, coach Casey was putting out there? I would love to know. Maybe he just... Maybe he was looking at Gleason's likes, and he saw that all of his likes were Tom Brady tweets. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that. 
Dustin Ragusa put it in Slack. Like his last ten likes were were Brady, Brady's the goat tweets. Gundy did wear number twelve. Yeah. So, probably so. <laughs> okay, uh, Carson, we need to talk about the Oklahoma State uh, schedule for the rest of the week. So let's get to this week's OSU schedule, brought to you by Chris's University Spirit. Your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner, and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Uh, we got a pretty big end of the week, uh, although Oklahoma State's men's basketball team has the first half of the week off. We've got uh, women's basketball against Baylor on Wednesday at home. That's in, that's in Gallagher. Uh, we've got wrestling uh, at home against Northern Iowa on Friday, which we will actually not be covering because we're hosting a uh, we're having a, a PFB dinner in Oklahoma City. Excited about that! You gonna make it out, Carson? I'll be there. Awesome! I love it. Uh, so we're gonna be in OKC on Friday, and then uh, men's basketball at home against K State on Saturday, women's basketball at TCU on Sunday, and then wrestling at home against Lehigh on Sunday as well. So. Uh, fully in the uh, in the thick of it in, in regards to basketball and wrestling. And uh, do you want to talk a little? Do you want to talk a little hoops at the end of this? Why are they not playing till Saturday? I don't know. January break. The entire week off. I, I don't know. It's weird. I it might have it might have had to do with the scheduling because they had the the Big Twelve SEC deal. Maybe that I I don't know. I have no idea. So you played last night. No, they got house by 30 at home so maybe it's a good thing oh she didn't play that that quick of a turnaround who did who beat OU by 30 Baylor in Norman Jeez, that's the worst true. loss they've had since 1963 or something as far as in conference at home wow um well let's before we talk about hoops let's let's hear one more time from our sponsor Chris's University Spirit and then we will uh, we'll come back talk a little hoops talk one interesting thing and uh wrap this thing up Chris's University Spirit on Campus Corner in Stillwater, Oklahoma is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986 and proud sponsor of this podcast, Pistols Firing. They specialize in custom-printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head-to-toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly, shop Chris's University Spirit. Okay, Carson. Uh, Oklahoma State beat South Carolina on Saturday. Good win. I think South Carolina is like 5-2 and two in the SEC or 5-1 and one or something like that. Uh, your and A, your guy, had a big night or a big day, I guess. And, uh, I mean... <laughs> This is the thing I was thinking about, Carson. Any any win that OSU gets now it feels like a big deal because they're, because they're playing with seven guys. And so even if they're going out and beating maybe like a mediocre South Carolina team or a not very good uh, West Virginia team, it still feels important because of how shorthanded they are. Uh, did you How much of the game did you see and just what were your takeaways? Good amount, and yeah, I'm with you. It's encouraging because if you were to give me an over-under on wins the rest of the season before the South Carolina game, I would have said like one or two. Yeah. So that it was good to get a win and against a decent South Carolina team. But no, I mean, your NA is the best big man since who at OSU? I mean, I guess Mitchell Solomon developed his last 
his last year or so. But he's probably Cobb and Chamberlain. Yeah, that's kind of the answer I was given, which your is already better than him. Um, no. Cobbins are you serious? Pretty, Cobbins was good. He averaged like four and five. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, know I mean, let's did. let's not make him out. I mean, look, we all loved Cobbins. He was a great personality, decent player. Uh, he doesn't. Ha- he didn't have the impact that Yorane has, especially defensively. Did you? You know what Mitchell Solomon's career numbers are? For his career, well, he didn't do much till his last two years, so I, I have no idea. It was like four and four. Is that it? I, yeah, I looked it up the other day because I was looking up. Uh, I went down this rabbit hole of number one ranked basketball players coming out of high school in the state of Oklahoma, and he was he was number one the year he came out. And so I was like, oh, he had a you know he had a good career at OSU because everybody remembers the last year, even the last two years, he he averaged like like 4.7 points and 4.3 rebounds or something like that. Cobbins, Cobbins averaged five and five and five. What's uh, what's your averaging right now? Actually, I've got it right here. He's uh, no, I don't have it. It's good radio. He is averaging. He's averaging six and four. So he's okay. already ahead of him. And he's a true freshman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I can be talked into that. I mean, he's been he's been really good. I mean, for the most part. Um, I thought it was encouraging that the Cam McGriff finally. Cam McGriff had two of the better dunks we've seen in a while, didn't he? I, <laughs> I mean, know, I know. I mean, Brian Keating sparked a debate amongst best dunkers in OSU history off those two. So I don't. Cam, I, I Cam's. He's Cam's kind of like uh, he's kind of like Joey to me in terms of a dunker. In that he's he's so big that you're like, I think that was impressive, but he's also like six eight, so it might not be as impressive as Markel just murdering someone. Well, it's more power than flair. Yeah. So, but it, both those were pretty impressive. So no, it was a good win. I mean, again, this this season's lost. I mean, it, poor poor Trey Reeves is out for the year. I mean, the hits just I keep know. on coming, man. I They're know. down to seven scholarship players. And and for him, it's like okay, you get this somewhat legit chance to actually play college basketball, and then you break your foot. That stinks. I mean, that yeah, just stinks horrible. for him. Horrible. Uh, speaking of dunks, did you see this Marcus Watson dunk? Uh, I was wondering if you're going to bring that up. <laughs> that that's different. Like that is a different looking dunk slash athlete. Like that that was startling when I saw it. Yes. It's, uh, I think Kyle Boone posted it on the site, wrote about it. I, I, uh, you know, who knows how next year is going to go, but he, he has, he has a look. I'm fired up about seeing him in Stillwater, seeing how he develops under Boynton, uh, just what, what, uh, what him and the Boone, Boone kids and, uh, Avery Anderson can turn into. Yeah. I'm, I'm fired up about the Boones. We've been yeah. talking about them for a couple of years now, so I'm, I mean, we need those guys to play, or OSU does. I mean, they're going to have to play a lot next year, so that'll be that'll be super intriguing. But again, I, I, you can it's written all over Mike Boynton when he talks about it. He's just he, you can just tell he's worn out already yeah. from this year. All the stuff yeah. that he's had to deal with. I'm gonna but, uh, next uh, year's a big year. 
Real quick, I'm going to read you the uh, top, the number one ranked recruits in the state of Oklahoma in basketball dating back to 03 and where they went to school. And just, you can just give me thoughts at the end. So 18 was Trayvon Hopkins. He went to Seattle. Uh, 17 was Trey Young, OU, Christian Doolittle, OU, Shake, Shake Milton. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yep, SMU. SMU, Solomon, Stevie Clark. Oof. Uh, <laughs> Stevie yeah. Clark Stevie Clark was one of the best high school players I've ever seen. Yeah, he was unbelievable. He was out of this world. He could shoot it from half court. Nino Jackson, he went to Loyola Marymount. That was in 12. Uh, Spangler, Ryan Spangler was 11. He went to Gonzaga, then obviously ended up at OU. 2010 was Tyler Neal, OU. Mm. Uh, 09 was uh, Xavier Henry, yep. Kansas. 08 was Rodney Clark, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, then, then it gets interesting. Oh seven was uh, Blake Griffin. Oh six was Obi Manello, who was a top twenty recruit nationally, which I forgot. Yeah, a lot of people forget that he was he was a top of the line recruit. Oh five was Taylor Griffin, uh, and then oh four was Darnell Jackson, who went to Kansas. And oh three, our graduating year. Were you oh three or oh two? Oh three. Okay, so our graduating year in 03 was J.R. Giddens, who went to John Marshall and ended up at Kansas. I remember him, yep. Uh, pretty interesting list. That's, so the reason I wrote about that is because that's the list that, uh, that Caleb Boone is on. He's the number one player in 2019. So he's going to be some blogger in 30 years or 15 years is going have, gonna to have him. Whenever he's playing for the Lakers as a 10-year <laughs> All-Star. They're going to look that back would... and go, yeah, he was player of the year in Oklahoma. Kind of like Griffin. <laughs> so Mike Boynton uh, hopes anyway. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Carson. Um, one interesting thing, and we will end with a toast to Coop. Uh, what's your one interesting thing for the week? Well, I mean, uh, my, my Tiger over Rory bet didn't exactly work out too well. I think I was duped by you. This golf writer duped me into a golf bet. I was, you were duped. What, what, how? It wasn't even close. Like you must've saw something in Rory that led you to believe that. I mean, he, yeah, I, it was more about Tiger coming in first tournament, first real tournament in like two months. Yeah. He looked like he didn't even care. That that was the most disappointing part about my bet. I was like, Tiger, I care about this more than you do. (laughs) He was just trying to like slap it around, put together a nice little feel good round. He wasn't trying to win anything. Yeah. I'm, yeah, he'll be fine. He's fine. Uh, my other one interesting thing, sticking with golf, is um, Matthew Wolf is playing yes. this week in the Phoenix Open on the PGA Tour. I mean, Victor Hovland played last week at the Farmers at Torrey Pines. So you got another OSU golfer playing on the tour. And uh, his his swing guy, George Gankus, I follow him on Instagram. He Instagram video, and I just tweeted it out if you want to go see it. Matthew Wolf looks like he's hitting into an ocean out there in Phoenix. I don't know where he's aimed, but it, it's about a mile away, and I'm pretty sure he hit the fairway. So I can't wait to watch him, and I hope they do the uh, Konica Minolta swing vision camera, and Peter Costas just, just faints whenever he sees the, <laughs> sees the club head speed and everything. Uh, actually, it's not a CBS broadcast, so you won't, you won't get the joy of, of seeing that. Because CBS has the Super Bowl this weekend. Oh, so who's I showing know. it? It's uh, NBC. Johnny Miller's farewell. He's out. Do they do a uh, swing vision camera? Surely they do. 
I think Johnny that might be Johnny Johnny might sign off with Matthew Wolf's swing. Just it, I'm out. <laughs> he's like, I'm I've had seen enough. I'm he <laughs> he hits it too far and he swings too weird for me. Uh okay, so mine is uh Taylor Gooch, another Oklahoma State guy. He was on uh maybe the best team that never won an NCAA title in college golf history. I think he was on that team with Uline and Kevin Tway and those guys. And uh, Morgan uh, Hoffman, yeah. Morgan Hoffman. They, it, like that entire team was in the field at Torrey Pines, I think, except for uh, except for Sean Einhaus, which is just it's absurd how good that team was. Um, but anyway, back to back top tens. He finished uh, in the top ten at the Desert Classic the week before to get into Torrey Pines. Finished top ten again to get into. So if you finish in the top ten, you automatically get into the tournament the next week. So he finished in the top ten again to get into this week's uh, Phoenix Open. So he's on a uh, he's on a tear. I mean, and it was funny to look at the leaderboard because you had Justin Rose, you had John Rahm, you had Adam Scott, you had Rory, you had Hideki Matsuyama. All these just elite pros, and then right in the middle of all of them was Taylor Gooch. And everybody's like, "Wait, who's this guy?" And uh, he's a good player, man. He's he's really solid, and I think he's going to have a good good couple couple years here. Did the light bulb just come on suddenly? How does he go from not being on the tour to having two top fives? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a learning curve. Like, we're used to the Ricky story or the Spieth story where the guys are just so good out of the gate. Even, like, a Matthew Wolf, I think, is going to be like that. And for other guys, you know, you play the web.com for a couple of years. You learn what professional golf is like. And then, you know, once you get out on the PGA Tour, it can be – there can be some freedom. You're playing for a lot more money. And once you've, you know, once you've locked up a top 10 or something like that, you're, you're kind of, you're not set, but you're like, okay, well I can, I can do this. I can finish in the top 125, keep my card and, and make it to next year. Um, so yeah, he, he's just, I don't know. He's playing really good golf right now. Yeah. He, did, you, <laughs> did you hear his nickname from uh, Andy Johnson of the fried egg? Shock and uh, start podcast. Gucci. Gucci, Gucci Mane. Yeah, that was good. That's a rapper. If you didn't know. Yeah, I I, I pieced it together. Okay. Well, if uh, if Matthew Wolf wins this week, we'll have to have Sean Martin on to break it all down because I know he's <laughs> he's big on Wolf too. So he he texted me on Sunday and was he goes I'm just dying for a Taylor Gooch win. He goes I have so much info and stuff on him. I was like, well, probably not gonna happen, but I appreciate the sentiment. Uh, okay, Carson, we are, we've had a great run, uh, with Coop Works. Uh, they've been an awesome partner. They are, uh, they're moving on They're They have other, um, they're sponsoring other things and, uh, no, no bad blood over our relationship or anything like that. I've got, still got a bunch of coops in my fridge that need to be, that need to be consumed. But, uh, I just want to, I just want to give them a shout out. They've been an awesome partner. They've been willing to work with us, do some live events. Some of them worked great. Some of them didn't work great. Um, they have uh, fueled our uh, get togethers in Stillwater, given us coop. And uh, I've just uh, couldn't have had a better experience with them uh, over the last couple of years. Um, so thanks to coop. I'm going to toast uh, my favorite coop. Uh, on Oktoberfest to them uh, as they uh, kind of sign off as our uh, as our sponsor and as our partner. And in light of that, if you're interested in sponsoring the pod, 
uh, reach out to us, pistolsfiringblog at gmail.com, and we would love to get you uh, get you set up with that over the next few weeks and months. And uh, I'll, I'll give you the floor, Carson. Yeah, I mean, they've been awesome to work with. Sean does a really good job. Uh, he's been great to deal with. And uh, I think it's only appropriate that Tyron Johnson's leaving town, that uh, <laughs> I, I toast a... Uh, I toast a Saturday siren. That one really grew on me, and uh, that's what's really cool about Coop is they're so Oklahoma centric. You know, the Saturday Saturday tornado siren that goes off every Saturday. People that live here understand that. And uh, no, they've been they've been awesome to work with, and uh, hate to see them go, but they're they're moving on to bigger and better things. So good luck to them. Yeah, for sure. I think Tyron and Coop may have arrived in our lives at the same time and left at the same time. It's oddly fitting, isn't it? It is. It's gonna, nice. Going to pour one out. <laughs> nice symmetry there. Uh, okay, Carson, that's all I got. Great pod. Thanks again to Bill for coming on. Thanks again to Coop for the last couple of years, and we will talk soon. All right. See you at uh, Princeton on the Prairie. <laughs> See ya.